Stay tuned next for the Cannabis Hour. Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Barry Peterson. You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. No wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? Good morning. You are listening to the Cannabis Hour, and I'm your host, Jen Procacci. I'm going to be joined here today by two guests, Charles Sargenti and Michael Katz. And together, we're going to be discussing um, the results of the 10% expansion vote. Also, what's going on with the new Phase 3 ordinance. And two proposed referendums that could possibly totally alter this process. So stay tuned. This is going to be a great show, whether you're a licensed cultivator or not, or just a member of this community, because we all know what's going on right now in the cannabis world has far-reaching impacts for all of us here in Mendocino County. And we're going to be taking your calls and thoughts at the end of the show, probably about 940. So stay tuned for that if you've got a question for us or something that you would like to share. So before we jump in here, I'm just going to take a moment to introduce my two guests. Charles Sargenti was born and raised on a family farm in the Salinas Valley. After serving in the Marines in Vietnam, he enrolled at UC Davis and later transferred to UC Santa Cruz and graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology in 1978. He eventually obtained a state contractor's license and is a licensed general building contractor. He took a break from construction in the 90s and went back to school where he completed a PhD in biology from UC Santa Cruz. Today, he is the owner of Eel River Medicinals Farm in Cobolo and is a member of the Round Valley Area Municipal Advisory Council for Third District Supervisor John Haschak. He is also the owner and admin for the Facebook group page Mendocana Action, which many of us know and love which he started in 2017 as a means to give legacy cultivators in Mendocino County a forum and a place to share all things cannabis. Michael Katz is the executive director of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, of which he was also a founding member. Prior to entering the cannabis space in 2015, Michael worked in branding, marketing, and communications producing award-winning branded content for some of the largest consumer-facing brands in the world, including Google, YouTube, Disney, Activision, Apple, and many more. He has spent the last several years working with licensed small batch cultivators from Northern California to help them gain, gain access to the market. He lives on Kamshi Road, about five miles from the Mendocino Village. Okay, Michael and Charles, are you both here on the line with me? I'm here. Yes. All right, great. Good morning to both. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, we're going to dive into this, and it's going to be a lot to cover. So really quick, before we get started, Michael, 
I know that there is an important um, informational event happening today for licensed cultivators. Can you quickly speak to that? Yes. So the uh, Mendocino Cannabis Program is putting on a webinar uh, to answer questions that were submitted by the community. Um, the submission deadline for questions was 5 p.m. on Tuesday. And then today from 3.30 to 5, there will be a Zoom meeting. Uh, the Zoom meeting is available, uh, posted online, and um, it also can be found, uh, the information for it can be found by emailing cannabis program at mendocinocounty.org. And so if people email and ask for the Zoom link, uh, that would be the best way to access it if you are not already aware of the link. Great. Do you want to just read that email address one more time for people, and then we'll also give it out again at the end for everyone that's listening? Sure. It is cannabis program, all one word, at mendocinocounty.org. Awesome. So make sure you tune into that if you are a licensed cultivator. That's going to be really important information for how we are currently moving forward. And if you're not able to tune in today, um, I'm not sure if there will be a video recording or not, but if there is, I will definitely announce where you can find that video recording on the next episode of the Cannabis Hour, and I anticipate there probably will be one. All right, so we're going to dive in here. Charles, um, I believe you're also the founder of an organization called Small is Beautiful, is that correct? Yes, Jen, that is correct. Do you just want to give us like a quick little brief overview about what Small and Beautiful is about before we get started? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, some of our uh, some of the listeners may recognize that as the title of a book by economist uh, E.F. Uh, Schumacher that came out in the 70s, and it was uh, a kind of a, a part of part of the I iconic. Uh, culture uh, uh, celebrating the, 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 the back to land movement. So I thought that would be an appropriate name for what we want to do here, which is encourage small legacy farms. Um, and uh, so basically, I just started a uh, Facebook page and a, <clears throat> and a Google group email by that name. Small is beautiful Mendocino for people who <clears throat> are against the um, expansion uh, of cultivation uh, to the extent that the board wants to do it, which is a 10% of parcel size. And I suppose we'll get into more of that as we, as we continue. Great. Thank you, Charles. Yeah, let's just dive into that right now. Um, so there was a board of supervisors meeting on Tuesday and the board, the majority of the board um, did vote to approve the 10% expansion. Are we aware yet of the zoning types in which this will be allowed? And if so, Michael, do you ha possibly have that information to share? Sure. So um, there were a couple of uh, updates to what had been previously considered. Uh, there was the removal of small indoor and medium indoor uh, from all of the zoning types except for industrial zoning. 
there's the allowance to allow medium mixed light in ag and industrial only, but to remove from other zones. Uh, upland residential was removed for the 10% of a parcel size, um, but would still be allowed with major use permit in ag and rangeland. Um, and those are the those are the zoning things that have gone back to the planning commission. Okay, so just for our listeners who might not know what ten percent expansion means, um, it basically breaks down to if you fit these requirements that Michael just described, um, if your parcel meets these zoning zoning requirements, you can expand your cannabis operation to ten percent of what your parcel size is. If you have a forty acre parcel and you meet these requirements, you can then grow, um, you know, four acres of cannabis on that parcel, for example. And I want and to so clarify one, uh, just one, yeah, one question. There was, uh, there's also this, the question of what the definition of which parcels in rangeland will be suitable for this. They're not allowing it for all parcels and language that has been uh, discussed is regarding previously utilized land in a, in a sense with tillage uh, and they're trying to determine previous legal clearing and you know it's, it's not fully certain what that will be but the idea that was presented was that they would want to limit it to those parcels that already had uses uh, that there wouldn't be new clearing required and so you know one of the things that's also gone back to the planning commission is figuring out you know what exactly that will be. Gotcha. So while we are on the subject of rangeland, I wanted to ask if you have information on what was proposed for rangeland in phase three outside of the 10% expansion, just like our rangeland parcels going to be able to apply for cannabis permits in phase three. Like, let's say we have a phase one cultivator. I'll use myself as an example because I am one <laughs> who's on a rangeland parcel. Um, who doesn't make it through phase one, can't do the appendix G, whatever, whatever, and has to reapply in phase three. Is that going to be possible for um, our existing rangeland cultivators? Do we know that at this time? Yeah, the current zoning chart, uh, that the current revised zoning chart does have allowances for that, but everything above 2,500 square feet, it looks like at this time, would be considered for uh, well, there'll be minor use permits. Uh, well, actually, sorry, be major use permits for everything over 5,000 square feet in rangeland. Okay. Everything over 5,000 square feet in rangeland would need a major use permit. And do you know, Correct. could you speak a little about what the major use permit process possibly looks like? Sure. Well, it's very, very intensive. Um, there are, you know, community public hearings with the planning commission. There are many different factors through which the project has to be evaluated related to environmental considerations, community considerations. Uh, it's a very kind of broad, long process with a lot of uh, studies required and, you know, certainly um, more intensive than uh, the county permitting process has even been to this point. Yeah, it sounds pretty time consuming. And I know that you are um, not permitted to cultivate during that time during which you were going through this process. Well, we know that for people who would be coming in new to this process, they would not be able to cultivate. There's still 
conversation going on and I think a real desire to understand how to enable those businesses who are currently operating in phase one and two, uh, should they determine that they need to move over to phase three, that there be a mechanism created to allow that continued operation. Like what that exactly will look like has yet to be determined, but you know, we're, uh, we, we think that that's essential. We know most small businesses cannot survive for uh, even a year, you know, without being able to have their revenue coming in from operations. And so, you know, we what we don't want to see these ordinances is a mass uh, exodus of licensed cultivators, people who have been trying to stay within the system and work within the system. We don't want to see those people removed uh, because of regulatory bureaucracy. You know, so we're, that's, that's how we can extend those operations is one of the more important questions before us, along with all the other very more important questions before us. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad Hi, to hear that that conversation. Yeah, go ahead, Charles. Do you want to say something? Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, uh, mention something about rangeland um, and, and what what is on the table and what is off the table. Just even though the uh, exact definitions aren't worked out yet, that the general idea is that if you've got pristine rangeland, which presumably is the, the huge bulk of it in the county uh, that hasn't been cultivated, hasn't been used as ag land, it, all, all that rangeland is, is, is definitely off the table. I don't know how many acres that entails, but I think there's something like 750,000 or something like that acres of rangeland. And I, you know, I, I would really like to see uh, if they can uh, figure out exactly how many acres would be eligible, but I, I, I don't see it as being uh, more than, uh, you know, a few thousand at most. I could be wrong, but but the vast majority, the vast bulk of, of, of rangeland, which is still in its pristine condition, is going to be of, of, of no, no cultivation allowed. And uh, <clears throat> I, I mean, if I'm an environmentalist and I'm looking at this issue, I, I, I think for the environment and for rangeland. And I just I'm assuming for final approval. Is that correct, Michael? So the, all of the suggestions will be going back to the Planning Commission, uh, at which point they will be able to convene uh, a special meeting um, to consider them. There will be public comment that will be accepted for that. And then the idea is that that would then go back to the board for consideration and final adoption prior to the June 30th uh, deadline. I see. And do we have the date for that planning commission meeting yet? Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that we do, but uh, as soon as we do, we will, MCA will announce it on our website. Great. And um, be assured, my listeners, that I will be announcing it here as well. So you will definitely know about that. And I can't stress the importance of, yeah, just one second here. I can't stress the importance of just getting involved there and submitting your public comment and having your voice be heard ahead of the planning commission meeting if you have an opinion on this which certainly we all do so go ahead charles what was it that you wanted to say 
Well, during the last uh, Board of Supervisors meeting, the, 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 the time of 10 days was uh, uh, mentioned in, in relation to that's the notice period that is required for both the Planning Commission and then after the Planning Commission for the Board of Supervisors meeting. So from that discussion, it looks like it's probably a matter of uh, 10 days until the Planning Commission and, and then another 10 to the Board of Supervisors. So I, I think that's the minimum uh, time period. And uh, my guess is the board is, is going to want to, you know, follow that minimum. So it, it could come up soon. And I will just point out that there was yeah, a correct me if there was a memo that the county council put out uh, that was uh, posted during the meeting uh, on um, on Tuesday, talking about dates. And basically, there's uh, there's also a forty. If the planning commission fails to return uh, with additional recommendations uh, within forty days, that would be considered as approval. So, you know, the idea is that it would be able to come back to the board sometime on or after June 7th. Uh, so, you know, I think they are looking potentially that far out. It's possible something could happen sooner, but that's, that's the, I think, the, the far out uh, deadline. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. So uh, I would like to kind of move on to the referendum part of our discussion. Um, is there anything, Michael or Charles, that you would like to say before we move on to that about the phase three ordinance? Um, well, I would say that I think, you know, I wanted, I, I do want to say that there were a couple of wins. I feel like for the phase one and two operators, there was definitely consensus among the Board of Supervisors that the protections that have been called for for those who are transitioning in uh, be incorporated into this process. So there is the 60-day early application window. You know, there are commitments to make sure that there's prioritized processing of the permits. And so, you know, we, we do sincerely appreciate the board seeing the need to make sure that there is that pathway uh, for those who are moving over. Now, you know, the next question, as we already discussed, is being for those operators to be able to continue their operations. I will also say that there is, Supervisor Mulhern uh, pointed out uh, a, big, uh, a big issue with the existing ordinance in that there is a gap of the people who will have access to the licensed markets through it. You know, this is, we're still primarily, we're talking about large parcels. Uh, so a lot of smaller businesses, a lot of smaller parcels, people who are not even not currently in the cannabis uh, space will not be able to enter into this program. Many of the people that we'd like to see uh, get pathways in um, just won't have that access through this. Uh, ordinance. And so it is really important that we as a community identify that the more compliance that we have and the more opportunities for compliance that we have for the operators who choose to be compliant, the better that is for the entire community. More environmental protections, 
more neighborhood protections. And I think it's important to remember that the uh, a lot of the issues that people have, the, a lot of the concerns that people have, are not primarily with those who are operating within the licensed system. And we want to make sure to keep reminding people of that as the rhetoric heats up, because there is a group of very good people who are doing their best to navigate a, a very broken system, and we don't want to see them get swept in with, uh, you know, the people who are causing egregious harm to the environment and to other people. So, you know, this ordinance in, does not go far enough, in my opinion, in creating that accessibility, and that's uh, something that we as a community are really going to have to still focus on repairing. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Charles, do you have anything that you wanted to add to our discussion about phase three before we kind of switch gears to discussing the referendum? Um, actually, I, I'm, I'm going to let Michael uh, have, have the final word on that. Okay, thank you. And, you know, I don't want to rush this conversation about phase three either. And um, something that kind of popped into my head when you were speaking, Michael, is, you know, it's a rather specific question. So if you don't know the answer, it's totally fine. But I'm wondering if there are any zoning types that were allowed for cultivation in phase one um, that will not be allowed moving forward in phase three? Um, yeah, uh, there are. Um, but, you know, right, right now, that is for the, the, the people who are currently cultivating in those zones, uh, they are uh, definitely able to continue cultivating, as the county said, that there's, uh, if they're making the transition to phase three, any zoning restrictions will be, will not apply to them. But yes, there are, you know, more, uh, the, the idea of cutting out access uh, for different parts of the zoning table is, is still an issue. Well, that is really important information. And I just want to reiterate that for our listeners, because that's something that I personally did not know, is that if you are a phase one cultivator who may need to reapply in phase three, it sounds like um, your zoning type will be grandfathered in regardless of whether or not it is included in the phase three as an allowable permittable zoning type. Is that correct, Michael, what I just reiterated yeah, that, there? That, that is what has been expressed. That is that is fully what, I believe that's written into the ordinance. Uh, and so that that has, that is moving forward as far as I know. That's great. And so when we speak on the phase three ordinance, was this ordinance actually voted on and passed on Tuesday or are we talking all about proposed language? So it's still proposed language, especially, you know, it, if, if it had not gone back to the planning commission, uh, it, it, you know, it might not have had to be voted on, but it could have come back before the board. Um, but since it did go back to the planning commission, uh, it, it is not, it has not been voted in yet. It is, is not effective. Uh, it is still in, in development. Gotcha. So the process we have for that as well is that it is going before the Planning Commission sometime probably within the next 10 days, and then it will be going back to the board by June 30th to be finally voted on. Yes. Great. All right. So, um, Charles, I'm going to let you kind of take the mic here for a moment and just introduce this concept of the referendum and explain to our listeners what it is and how it could affect this process that we are discussing with phase three and the 10% expansion. Well, okay, great. 
Well, um, uh, the power of the people to to do a referendum is is uh, enshrined in the in the state constitution, um, and in the elections code, uh, it's laid out what what exactly the procedures are for for doing that. Um, so, as as people. Uh, you know, common knowledge is is that there's there's different ways of, of putting things on the ballot. Um, uh, one of them is called an initiative, which is basically where you're uh, uh, crafting some new law, and you want that. You know, you want to you you want to put that on the ballot. You you need to get a, a sufficient number of signatures of uh, registered voters. Uh, the referendum is is kind of the the, the opposite of that, or, or anyway, it's 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 quite different. And 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 the whole point of the referendum is to give the people a chance to weigh in on something that the, a legislative body has uh, passed, uh, a law that that the legislative body has passed. If we're going to do a referendum on that, basically the referendum is oppositional. Uh, that's all a referendum can do. It can only oppose something, um, and and it it can either oppose the entire uh, law or it can uh, oppose a part of the law, and um, so what. Well, what what we're doing, my smallest beautiful uh, group, is we're opposing one uh, precisely defined part of of the phase three ordinance, which is that part that said <clears throat> says ten percent of a of a parcel's acreage, a, a maximum of ten percent is eligible for cultivation so that's uh that's that's the way uh we're going about it we're not opposing the entire ordinance we're just opposing that one specific part of it and the reason that is is because in my opinion um i think that's the most egregious uh and a uh, part of the ordinance that would have the the greatest significance in um in in many different ways uh, to uh to uh, uh you know alter uh the socioeconomic the cultural uh the uh you know uh a lot of a lot of uh, a, a lot of issues uh, where uh, large corporations could come in and do big grows, uh, hundreds of acres if, if they have the right parcel. Um, and that's that's all only possible uh, under this 10% uh, provision. So that's why we're targeting that. Okay, thank you, Charles. It looks like we already have callers, and apparently we've been getting them for some time now. So I'm going to open up the lines, and we're going to continue to have this conversation in between callers here. 
Um, so if you are listening and you have a question or comment about 10%, phase three, the referendum that Charles is discussing, you can give us a call. That number is 707-895-2448. Again, that is 707-895-2448. Um, Charles, the referendum, what is the timeline like for this process logistically? Um, <clears throat> unlike uh, an initiative where you have 180 days to get the signatures, uh, the referendum is a very abbreviated process, and you only have 30 days to collect all the signatures you need. Uh, that that time that period starts the day after the final approval of the legislation, and uh, goes up until the legislation goes into effect. Now, now with the county ordinances, uh, by and large, they go into effect 30 days after approvals. So that's where that 30-day window comes from. Um, so basically, uh, you, you uh, I mean, we're all, we're all kind of, we thought uh, possibly uh, last Tuesday they, they, they might approve do the final vote and so we had to be ready to go the next day but that didn't happen um so we're 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 looking for being ready uh as soon as the board uh does the final approval of the ordinance and as you can imagine it's a little unnerving to, to be thinking yeah we're going to charge ahead and do this and then all of a sudden no, they didn't approve it, so we have to wait another 10 days or another 20 days or something like that. So, but that's the process. Okay, thank you for explaining that. It looks like we have two callers holding, so we're going to go ahead and put the first caller through here. Hi, caller. You are live on the Cannabis Hour. Are you here with us? Which one? I guess I'm first or second. Hello. Yeah, Hi, you're on the air. Do you have a question or comment? I do, I do, and I'm I'm delighted that the that the ten percent is being um, resisted actively. I would like to see no water trucks included because if people don't have, you know, we're in a, we all know we're in a horrendous water situation, and water trucks are going up and down my road all of the time. Nobody's paying to maintain it, although I think state law requires it from the growers. Um, so, yeah, I know you have to stick to just one topic, and that the 10% is is the deal but i would sure like to have people's attention also directed towards some of these other egregious flaws in the phase three thank you i'll go off air i would thank love you, to address yeah go ahead michael please respond yeah so thank you so much for that and uh water trucks big big topic very very controversial topic and I think there's a couple of important things to consider when it comes to water trucks. First of all, the water trucks that people see in the middle of a drought, there, is, there are many people who are residentially need additional water. 
Um, so it's hard to really pin the water truck issue on the licensed cultivators in the program. Remember, the county has admitted there are potentially 8,000 to 10,000 unlicensed cultivation sites. This ordinance does not really cover bringing most of those unlicensed cultivation sites into compliance. So the issues that people are having with water trucks are really not the fault of the small licensed operators who are required by state law to have a legal water source. And if it's trucked in, they're required to show that it's legal. They're required to maintain information about that. And there are regulations around it. So the people who are in the license program are actually probably the more responsible water truck users for those who have to do it. Um, I think another conflation that's happening is if we're concerned about illegal water trucking, why not go after the illegal water truckers? You know, the, if there are trucking companies who are illegally taking water and illegally delivering it to places, you know, maybe there's, you know, we, we've heard stories of falsified paperwork that maybe people have seen. And so, you know, I think that we should really make sure that when there's an issue that people have, an underlying issue, we look at what are the potential causes of that and really go after the causes and not say, you know, let's build into this ordinance for people who are choosing to be regulated. Let's build something in that makes it impossible for them to exist. Now, if there is going to be a transition away from water trucking into uh, in the new ordinance, as has been discussed, and there is desire to see that, the idea is that it would be essential to give most of these very small businesses a chance to update their infrastructure to enable them to no longer need to have water trucked in. And I think that's uh, something that needs to be considered. So I, I sincerely appreciate Supervisor Haschak understanding that the restrictions that are being proposed will not ultimately curtail the issues that the community has. What it will do is it will unnecessarily harm small businesses who are trying to be compliant. And if the goal is more compliance, then we should be giving these businesses the opportunity to come into compliance and not drop a hammer on them uh, if they have not uh, already become compliant with a rule that hasn't even been set up yet. Yeah, you know, we have another caller holding. So if you want to comment, just keep it really, really brief, and then we'll put this other caller through. Right. Brief it will be. Um, well, in the in the in the phase three ordinance, uh, water trucks are are definitely not allowed. Uh, you cannot uh, say you're going to get your water trucked in. So I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, the only play, uh, the only uh, people who will be able to use water trucks are legacy farmers who are already in phase one, and and that'll be grandfathered in. But uh, it's it's probably going to be eventually uh, not allowed at all. Uh, but for now, um, the, the main uh, use of water trucks is illegal grows. And un unfortunately, uh, no matter what the, this ordinance does, it's not going to it's not going to curtail that. That's that's a matter of code enforcement, law enforcement and and so on. So, OK, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> 
Yeah, thank you both. That is really important to stress that information. So I appreciate both of your responses. So we have one caller holding. Um, so we're going to put, uh, yeah, they're on now. Okay. Hi, caller. You're live on the Cannabis Hour. Are you here with us? Yes. Thanks for taking my call. My name is Chris, and I live over in Ukiah. Um, I really support uh, the referendum and just going to the voters. Um, I, I think it is something that uh, the voters should weigh in on. And let's just say when this thing passes, my concern is the Board of Supervisors or the powers that be in the county, whoever they may be, planning department, etc., you know, will they just choose to ignore it? And uh, I know this might seem uh, sound a little absurd, but there's been other referenda that we, the voters, have passed in this county that uh, don't seem to have any teeth, even though it's very plain and explicit in language, such as the uh, uh, ban on the use of herbicides in the woods. And, of course, the county is afraid of the logging company suing them, which is why they're basically not enforcing that. So my real question here is, reflecting on these um, referendum episodes in the past, is um, are you all prepared to uh, support that through legal means in the future? And I really hope you can and will if, it, if, if and when it is passed. All right, thanks. That is such an awesome question. Um, Charles, do you want to go ahead and address that? What happens if we pass this yeah. referendum and it's ignored? Huh. Well, that, that would be a clear violation of, of state election code. It, it says in the code, it says very clearly that when the uh, petition is submitted to the Board of Supervisors, they only they have a choice. They, they can do they can either reconsider the ordinance or they can put the ordinance on the ballot for the people to vote on. So uh, they're not going to try to just ignore it because there's, uh, you know, 80,000 pairs of eyes watching everything they do right now. <laughs> and uh, that, that's just, uh, that's just not, not in the realm of, of possibility. And I know that they, they have not enforced uh, that, uh, the, the hack and squirt ordinance, um, but this this is a this isn't a matter of them enforcing something. This is a matter of them having a very clear choice: either take the ten percent out of the ordinance or put the ordinance up for for a, a vote on on the ballot. So that's that's the, those are the only two things that can happen. Uh. Thank so, you, Charles. So I, I want yeah, to uh, clarify a little further. So, you know, um, there at this time, you know, the, the referendum that Charles is speaking about is, is one referendum. And I want to clarify also that MCA at this time is not participating in any referendum. We're obviously happy to be a part of this conversation, but the, the organization is not part of a referendum. Um, but there's also another referendum being discussed uh, at the same time that would whereas the referendum Charles was discussing would seek to remove the 10% only component from the ordinance, the other referendum that's being discussed would actually uh, revoke the entirety of the ordinance. 
And the, there are, we have major concerns about revoking the entirety of the ordinance um, because we do believe everything that we've seen indicates that while we still want as many operators to get through phase one and two as possible, it is likely that many people will still need to go over to the new ordinance. So it's essential to have one. And the concern is that if the uh, if the full ordinance um, referendum goes through, that that could pause the adoption of it, and that could lead to a gap in operations for uh, new and uh, old operators. There, that, so there's a concern that there are substantial consequences uh, to that type of render referendum. Uh, we, we believe that phase three needs to happen. Uh, we just believe that it needs to happen in a, uh, in a way that is more inclusive. Um, but I wanted to draw the distinction because as people start to potentially hear about these different referenda, uh, they're not the same and they have different potential implications and the, you know, the collateral damage or the unintended consequences is what we're concerned about. Thank you, Michael. That is good to clarify. Um, we have two callers holding here, so we're going to go ahead and put the first caller through. Hi, caller. You are live on the Cannabis Hour. Are you here on the air with us? I I am, yes. Uh, this is John from Copolo. <laughs> anyway, uh, I do have a question, and and uh, I've been watching this situation. I've lived in Copolo since 1970, so I've been there a long time, and uh, I'm particularly interested in uh, whether there is a special designation in these uh, ordinance for reservation, not rangeland, but reservation land. Covalo is the largest and oldest reservation in the state of California, and I'm wondering if there is any uh, uh, allowances or special uh, consideration for uh, the, the the reservation land. I happen to have bought a piece, uh, you know, 10 acres uh, that was originally reservation, but the Indians were allowed to sell uh, uh, their land. I think it was in 1954 when uh, uh, things kind of crashed. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yes, what about uh, reserva reservation land? I'm particularly interested in the north-west uh, corner of Round Valley around Medicine Mountain. <laughs> Thank you for the program. It's wonderful. Great. Thank you, caller, for your question. Um, I am not super sure about that. Um, do either of you want to speak on that? Or if, if neither I'll, of you feel like you can that. take that, I'll try to take I'll, a stab at it. All right, go ahead, Charles. Yeah, uh, well, reservation land is, is uh, you know, out of county, state jurisdiction. Uh, none of this is, is pertinent to reservation reservation property. So they're, they're going to have to come up with their own, uh, their own ordinances for how they want cannabis cultivated. So uh, now if it's uh, a fee simple property that has been, uh, was sold uh, uh, outside 
of the reservation, then that's that is county jurisdiction. And um, and 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 the people in Round Valley refer to uh, the checkerboard uh, reservation where there were a lot of parcels sold to uh, non-natives and they they uh, have been uh, 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 separated from 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 the reservation land and and those will be uh, <clears throat> uh, will fall on, under this new ordinance that's coming and because it is uh, under county jurisdiction so it's 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 a complicated situation and I, and I think that even the county doesn't know what all the uh, parcels are uh, whether they're uh, native land or 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 fee simple land uh, but uh, but Reservation land itself is definitely off limits to, to us uh, in any way. So <laughs> that that part is easy. Okay, thank you, Charles. That's a good answer to that question. And it looks like we have two more callers holding. So we're going to go ahead and put the first caller through here. Hi, caller. Are you here on the air with us? You are live on the Cannabis Hour. Hmm. Caller, are you here with us? Hit star six to unmute yourself. That's a joke because we're on the radio. <laughs> it's very apt considering how many Zoom meetings we've all been in lately. Um, it looks like we can't hear you. We can't hear you, caller. So you can try calling back and we'll put you through again. But we're going to go ahead and put the next caller through. Hi, caller. Are you live with us on the Cannabis Hour? Yes, this is Sheila from Willits, and the referendum that I could support would also include rangeland and an EIR, which I think is really important, especially with such um, dire water concerns right now. They really don't know what we have in terms of water availability without an EIR. So the other point I wanted to make, though, and I'd like you to address that, um, why not include a more comprehensive referendum, but also... You know, if they miss their deadline of June 30th um, with any referendum, my understanding is that then they are forced to do an EIR and that this would um, delay the whole process. So please address that outcome. I, I, I encourage a referendum, but um, the consequence that I understand it would be would that the phase three would fail and then they would be forced into doing an EIR. Is that your understanding as well? Uh, Charles, do you want to uh, go ahead okay. with that? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest, it's not uh, crystal clear uh, how that would work. The one thing that is crystal clear is that uh, if, the, if the referendum if, if the 10% referendum is successful, then the board has the option of removing that 10% and proceeding with the ordinance. Now, the, if they don't do that, then uh, the ordinance remains suspended. And uh, so th I, that's a legal question that I don't know the answer to. Um, the 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 these uh, state law that says they have to, uh, and if they pass it before July 1st, 
it, they don't have to do the EIR. It, it, it doesn't necessarily say address the issue of whether it's suspended or not. So they may pass it before July 1st, and then perhaps it'll be suspended, but that will not uh, invalidate the uh, uh, deadline that, you know, they, they might, it might still be considered to have met the deadline. So that's a legal question. I don't really know the answer. Yeah, you know, um, um, if you were, and I'm, hope, at, I'm uh, hoping okay. what they can you hear me. Yeah. Sorry. Um, if you were uh, at listening to the hearing on Tuesday, there was a lot of questions um, posed to the CEO and County Council on that point, and it, I really got came away with the impression that they had to send this to planning commission during a very strict timeline and to make sure that they got it back to make sure that it was passed before that deadline and they were concerned about the referendum they brought that up that that would cause a failure so i just you know it's i think we should know this point it's not completely clear to any of us um but i bring it up because it's you know, it's an important thing to consider. There will be consequences. And having said that, I do support a referendum. I would just love to see it include others that are not growers that could get behind this, those that want good water management, that want an EIR, that want to protect oak woodlands and so on. We would be on board with you if you would also take rangeland off and include that EIR in the language. So that's my point. Thank you. Uh, Could you address well, why Sheila, you don't want to include can I ask you one question? Uh, the uh, rangeland Sheila. and the EIR as well. So Thank I just, you. I just want to break in here real quick and let yeah. you know that we have two more callers holding, and I want to try to get them on. So let's okay. just try to um, definitely respond, but maybe keep it brief so we can take the next people also. Oh, I've got an answer. Okay. <laughs> um, well, Charles, I mean, you want I to go? Okay, go ahead, Michael. I just want to reiterate that it's, it's incredibly important that uh, an ordinance, that there is an ordinance that exists uh, because we do not want the entire system to fail, uh, as the last caller said, because we need to ensure continued operations uh, at a minimum for those who are already in the program. And we as a community want to enable more people to come in and be compliant licensed cannabis growers. We want to see grape growers and ranchers and anybody who can sustainably enter the program uh, through the phase three process. Uh, that is that is an important thing. But first and foremost, the transition of the existing operators in and anything that jeopardizes that is something that should be opposed. Um, you know, Charles is specifically talking about the one 10 percent component but the, the bigger picture issue is that we need to make sure that an ordinance does go forward. I also want to reiterate on the water side, um, just statewide, the usage for cannabis crops compared to other crops is minuscule. Uh, so there's, you know, for orchards, as an example, orchards in throughout the state use 6.95 million acre feet of water a year. Cannabis uses 0 0.003 million acre feet of water per year. So I would encourage the public, if they're concerned about water usage, to look at the entire spectrum of water users. Uh, additionally, many of you may have heard that Nestle recently uh, had to stop pumping water. They were they got a fine finally. Um, they they were pumping 
25 times more water than they were supposed to out of the California water system, 58 million gallons a year. So let's be uh, aware of the facts when it comes to water usage and not continue to vilify the small percentage of licensed legal cannabis operators that we're talking about here. Thank you, Michael. I think those are really great figures and facts to bring to this conversation. I had also read about the Nestle thing recently, and it's totally appalling. So we have two callers holding, I believe. So we're going to put the next caller through here. Hi, caller. Are you here with us? You are live on the Cannabis Hour. I am, and I'd like to pose a question. Is it my turn? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um it seems to me, especially with the word of mouth lately, that um, I guess the elephant in the room is, do we send guys with guns to enforce civil code? And where is the threshold of um, actually moving into, uh, like, criminal code? And how? And And I guess this is a question also for the whole country is, do we need a separate entity between um, the the civil code of uh, of enforcement, uh, being the ag department or the building department, um, and the actual criminal uh, side where we're going to be sending like sheriffs and guys with guns and stuff? Is this uh, uh, where's the threshold at to to have? to for that to be like you know we're not we're not sure like what's going on especially with the uh civil and criminal and obviously the criminal is something that we've dealt with for a long time and um it's a real you know it's in the back of a lot of people's minds and so um i just wanted to pose that question as possibly a food for for thought and um i i think my comment would be i think the ag department um may have a lot more better resources to deal uh, with what we're trying to deal with right now in Mendocino County. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Thank you, caller. That is an an excellent question. And Charles, go ahead. We just have um, three minutes left here. So we do have a little bit of a time cap. So just to let you know. Yeah. Real quick, uh, this ordinance... Uh, does not address it either uh, criminal or, or civil uh, enforcement. Um, and the, the caller's question was an excellent question, and I don't think we have the answer to that. And I think that after or maybe even before this ordinance is finalized, we need to continue to hold <clears throat> our supervisor's feet to the fire and make sure that they have uh, provide the sheriff with all the resources he needs, provide uh, planning and building code enforcement with what they need to go out and and do enforcement. Uh, I I I firmly believe that most of the controversy that we're seeing and and talking about right now is due to the fact that the county has let us down in in terms of just enforcing the regulations that are on the books. Uh, and, and that's what a lot of people are saying. They, they're saying, hey, we don't we don't want this to go ahead because the county can't even deal with with the former ordinance. And, and I understand that. Uh, I just want to get out the message that we do need this ordinance. 
and let's keep fighting for enforcement once 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 we get past this ordinance. Thank you, Charles. Do you have anything to quickly add to that, Michael, before we wrap up the show? Yeah, just that I, I would agree with what Charles said. And I would agree with the sheriff who says there are people who require clipboards for compliance and there are people who require SWAT teams. And he understands that certainly better than anybody else. And MC has long supported the sheriff's enforcement priorities. But our priority when it comes to compliance is to enable as many people as possible to give them an opportunity to enter a compliance system to show that they are good operators so that then a clear line is established and the county can better determine who needs a clipboard and who does not. Thank you so much, Michael. And I'm getting a message from the station here that we still have calls coming in. So I'm sorry to the callers that we couldn't take in, but don't worry because we're going to be continuing to cover these topics while this information is relevant for you. So thank you for tuning in. Um, thanks to Charles Sargenti and Michael Katz for joining us today. Thank you to my listeners and to everyone that called in. I will be back two weeks from today with another episode of the Cannabis Hour. And until I see you again, thank you for listening and have a beautiful day. Thank you, Jen. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willetson Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.